You're listening to the Film Grey's Bong Joon-ho Retrospective Special. We recorded this few weeks ago now, so there are some quite untimely recommendations, such as running out to your local multiplex. Despite cinemas being closed, I do encourage you to check out the films we discussed today. Even as Bong's films grapple with the paradoxes and challenges of modern life, they all have the qualities of film escapism. This is a director whose work is both entertaining and rewarding. One final thing. We usually record film grades face-to-face, and despite this now being an impossibility, we will be adapting and bringing you more episodes in the near future. If you like what we do, you can support Film Grays by subscribing, liking, sharing and all that. Thanks. Hello, you're listening to Film Grays. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We are from the rock and roll band Phil Graves, and we're here to talk about cinema. This episode, we're going to be talking about the filmography of celebrated South Korean auteur Bong Joon-ho in light of his new film Parasite, which presumably a lot of you guys may have seen. Yeah, you say new film. (laughs) I saw it like eight months after it premiered. Yeah. I'm glad I waited to see it in cinema because... Yeah, you could have taken the Pirates option, but yeah. you... I guess it's a very cinematic film. Yeah. It is a... Really dope. Just uh, this weekend, it was declared the highest grossing foreign language film at the UK box office of all time. Yes, yeah, passing uh, The Passion of the Christ, was it? Or was, it... <laughs> was that it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that would be it, wouldn't it? It's 23 on the IMDb greatest films of all time, the top 250. One place behind... Life is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But Bong's had a numerous really successful films that are all really worth watching. We watched everything from his student film, Incoherence, and his early Korean features, Barking Dogs Never Bite, Memories of Murder, The Host, which was a huge film at the time, and the first Bong film I saw when I was about 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably the first one that caught my attention when, you know, when we were kids. Probably around the same time as, like... Park Chan Wook's like vengeance for sure, for sure. Five stars, Empire Magazine. Yeah, five pounds, HMV. Yeah, really intriguing filmmaker. Really been making absolute classics. Really intriguing, rich films since we were kids. And there's so much to say about all of these films. We will get into it. Yeah, he's a he's a really amazing filmmaker. Whether he uh, he's telling like a sort of bizarre creature feature or like a comic book adaptation or just a sort of more small-scale Korean sort of murder mystery drama. They all have the same sort of uh, really interesting balance of tones, amazing dialogue, really well-designed imagery. Also, like, uh, work with actors. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of thematic uh, sort of recurrences across his work, which we'll get into. And they're pretty um, much all anti-capitalist parables as well, which is... Uh, Absolutely, man. Very much a product of um, his environment and, a, you know, a political filmmaker. Shout out, Bong. Yeah. And a very jokes filmmaker. Yes, yeah, definitely. Well. Yeah, they're all, that, they're all funny and all irreverent and also really deep at times. Yeah. We're going to get into it.
you saw Parasite way before me then, like last year. Yeah, in like October. As well as like The Lighthouse and The Irishman. That's well. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is the last one that I saw, so I'll stop yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah, I've caught, caught up, finally. I've seen it a few times since. Yeah, I've seen it twice now. I, I, the first time I saw it was in cinema. Um, before it hit, like, all of them, we, like, went to a BG1. But then uh, we, we we watched it together as well. Yeah. What was it like seeing it? What were the audiences saying? Sold out. Sold out, like, every day when it came out in New York. And similar sort of stories in screens in London. Yeah. Just a huge cultural sensation. It's obviously been, like, resonant internationally, critically, and with popular audiences oh yeah from the communists to the libtards <laughs> you know bong's spoken about like the like three inch barrier to like world cinema or whatever well it's demonstrable you know fucking it's worth it yeah there are a lot of good films with subtitles it's true, <laughs> it's true. one or two maybe <laughs> i mean there's honestly so much to say about parasite do you want to start by doing a little plot summary sure we're yeah. gonna probably I mean, we we're going to unveil some of the twists and sort of get into it. Because it's sort of necessary, I feel. So that's just a little warning. But... We're going to tell you who the parasite is, <laughs> where where the parasite is. So it's about a sort of working class family in Seoul. Yeah, the Kims. They live in like a shitty basement apartment, you know, no natural light, people pissing up against the window. No Wi-Fi, even worse. <laughs> yeah. They uh, fold pizza boxes. And they sort of work together as like a family unit. Mm. Um, they all sort of suffer together. Yeah. Still, like, enmeshed in the sort of entrepreneurial logic, though, of the world we live in. And I guess that's sort of what the plot's about. One by one, they sort of implant themselves in, like, a bougie families, like, up in the hills of Seoul, like, designed by an architect, insane house, through, like, increasingly Machiavellian means... It's a genre movie, but also it's really hard to characterise because... There's it's a lot of genre of movies yeah. at once, I yeah. guess. You know? I mean, it's a family drama, a film with strong social commentary, like, very allegorical. Like, it's structured around, like, very sort of fable-like, self-contained parable. Very much so. But it's also a black comedy. It's got, like, horror elements thrilling oh yeah it's an extremely thrilling film very intense very funny all those films are very funny certainly for everyone yeah parasite really brings together all of the interesting things that make up bong's filmography like the sociological quality like the humor like these genre elements and it's like quintessentially korean but also that that means an interrogation of their relationship to u.s like cultural imperialism and military presence that's not really a thing in this but it's still global capitalism yeah. is definitely at the forefront though and i think that's why having made okja and snowpiercer sort of his two like international films this is saying the same thing as them even though it's on a way smaller scale and has a less sort of bizarre premise and in, in, in terms of the scenarios that we'll see there are resonances between for example working dogs and parasite as well which like really seem to sort of mirror each other to in the their point. use of like space to define class relations interrogating like consumption or like showing different patterns of consumption all these things showing how different people relate different like family units are constructed oh, it's just such an interesting filmmaker how does it do this in parasite then well like the house there are many levels to it 
maybe we can start with the characters and then meander our way through from there. Song Kang Ho plays the the dad. Uh, he's an actor that Bong's worked with and on like multiple projects. Beautiful Real partnership world. they have, I yeah. feel. Yeah. Real legend of the uh, Korean screen. I watched uh, A Taxi Driver really recently. It's oh, yeah, yeah. He's also in um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which I forgot. He is, I guess, Mr. Vengeance oh. in it. Uh, he's been in loads of Bong's films. He plays the dad of the Kim family. Then we've got... He's got a, a son and a daughter. <laughs> Yeah, oh, there are going to be quite a lot of stumbling blocks here because obviously neither of us are uh, you know, that familiar with the Korean language. I'm not um, even 100% sure in what order to say the surnames and first names. Apologies, listeners. Yeah. Please, we are here to honour Bong Joon-ho and his colleagues. But <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a nuclear family, basically. Yeah, it's a very conventional nuclear family. A father, mother, their two children, a boy and a girl. Who are like in their 20s. Yeah, they're like, I guess they, at the stage of their life where they could be grad- graduates. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. But they're not, um, you know, one of them can't get into art school, even though she's like, you know, talented and like, she emerges to be a very like quite cunning and interesting character. Uh, the son, I guess, is, pff, I don't know even how to describe him. He's quite like an earnest character. He's a bit of a fool, though, you know, yeah. like, this character comes up quite a few times in Bong's films, you know, like, he's a... Uh... I guess he's just meant to be like a sort of normal guy, though. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. really have that many. It's just his facial expressions, hair. you know. He looks bare, confused, like. Quite oh well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he meets his friend, who's a bit more like flashy, and it's like you know he's got loads of money, and he's a university graduate, and he's been tutoring the daughter of this uh, richer family, the Parks, but he's going away. It's weird. He just like comes in the film, and he's only in that one scene, but he provides the job but i guess it's you know yeah he also provides one of the MacGuffins of the film he comes to their household and they're all sort of embarrassed because they're sitting around eating new like instant noodles and you know drinking tinnies and like he comes through and like they're all like oh yeah they all love college him. students are so impressive <laughs> and he brings this like scholar's rock i guess it's like some weird geological phenomenon in society i think like the older generation i I don't even know um but it's like a weird thing he just like brings this stone and he's like oh this will bring you look uncut gems yeah uncut gems yeah (laughs) it's just me and the rock and it does yeah yeah kiwu or kevin as he as his like anglicized name Yeah. yeah he becomes obsessed with the stone from that scene onwards then the plot of the film is set in motion whereby this sort of working class struggling family one by one get jobs in the home of the richer Park family. Yeah, so either tutoring the children and then eventually getting the driver and the housekeeper fired so the parents can. Becomes like very unscrupulous and like dog eat dog. But all actions have consequences in it. Yeah. The Park family, the dad is like a, I think he works for like a video game company or something called Another Buck. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Nathan Park. (laughs) is his name and um they got loads of fucking money and their house is really nice and you know that becomes like the central sort of locus of action well the if you look at the film poster like the architecture is very mm. much at the forefront bong has spoken about how he had like a 3d model of it made like a sort of video game style thing 
Or like a parasite simulator. That he could like walk through to choreograph and like do the blocking and like think about like how the characters once they're in that space would like very cool utilize it. You know, like The Sims, like first person mode. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he's a filmmaker who really he storyboards all his films. You know, I guess he works quite closely with the cinematographers, but in terms of the designing of the images, that is very 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 deliberate as opposed to using like multiple setups when they film a lot of these scenes and stuff like that he knows exactly what he's doing with the camera which is really important i think when you're just tracking around this uh, really bizarre sort of like futuristic house yep there's real precision to how all of his use of space is conceptualized and not just the houses there's some great sequences that take place um, between their two houses like a downhill dash through the rain uh, at the climax of like an extremely intense inside number nine style sequence outside number nine by that point but yeah all the set design is like extremely dope yeah yeah (laughs) didn't win production design at the oscars it also didn't win uh you know best cinematography but i mean it should have been in for a shout if they considered it that complete uh sort of cinematic package alex hong's work should have been uh rewarded a cinematographer who's also worked on uh, Snowpiercer and uh, the have you seen The Wailing? Yeah, it's supposed to be really yeah, good. It's pretty scary, yeah, man. Yeah, he did that, and um, also he did Burning, amazing movie. Shang Gong's film from uh, last year. Yeah, cinematic release here last year. Really dope film and excellent cinematographer. Certainly, I feel like Bong's worked with some some really good cinematographers actually, but I guess we'll get onto that in due course. Great tracking, great framing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just also precise and like to execute. Great editing. If, if, if Bong was like thinking about like how like people move through this space mm. and like how it's all represented and like it's also specific. So to execute it, the lighting, the it's it's all really yeah magnificent, glorious, metaphorical. Yes, yeah, so, so metaphorical. metaphorical. <laughs> it really is that though. It is all telling like a very simple story, even though you can maybe argue it's a bit of a convoluted and like you know tricksy story there's like revelations and there's like a lot of like yeah like moments of like disclosure and unfolding we've already done a spoiler warning i guess but like once you get into the second half of the film once they're fully implanted into the like the bougie home the sort of geography of that space develops and unfurls and we see like new strata new levels yeah introducing you know whole new dynamics to the plot and i mean you'll miss the story how many stories does the house have, Sam? <laughs> I guess four? Yeah, four. But you think it only has three? Yeah. But there's a fourth level. Yeah. Well, because there's the basement, which is the sort of like subterranean larder where they keep their like plum juice <laughs> and like All camping jars, equipment. Yeah. Right. And then unbeknownst to the Park family who own the house, there's actually like a bunker underneath it born of uh, the architect's paranoia about the North Korean conflict. Yeah, a lot of the rich houses in Seoul have these apparently big underground nuclear shelters. So that's like another like sort of site of action. It's revealed that the the original housekeeper who was actually in the house before... Who actually gets turfed out in the most Machiavellian, brutal way. That all these allergy things are coming up in all these films. <laughs> Peter Rabbit is so deep. It's like, oh, you know how to get them. I'm going to anaphylactic shop. <laughs> No, she doesn't, she doesn't get into anaphylactic shots. She just had the symptoms of TV. Hey, whatever. Anyway, she gets turfed out in like quite a harsh way after being sort of like framed or whatever. You know, 
Yeah, she's oh, framed. And she comes back in the middle of the night when they're all just like partying in the rich house once they've gone on a camping trip. <laughs> and then she's like ringing the doorbell and like looking real scary. Yeah. She's like, I just need to go down to the basement for something. I've left something in the basement. Oh, just one minute. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, just one minute. And then they're like, you know, what the fuck is she doing down there? She's just trying to feed her starving husband who's been uh, <laughs> oh who's been living there. The I guess the parasite. I've been calling him the parasite. <laughs> yeah. They're all parasites, I guess yeah. is the point. But yeah, and he's just like kind of injured and like, you know, he hasn't been outside in like five years. He's been living in the basement and like... Yeah, with all the sort of psychological effects you'd... Um... Uh, I haven't seen a Bong segment in Tokyo, but that's about, like, a culture in which um, people... A culture of, like, shutting yourself in. Right. Um, and, like, not leaving the house. And then, like, I think it has some, like... Like a voyeuristic... Plot yeah, I know all on, about on that. From that. But, like, yeah, like... Obviously, this guy's, like, gone bad after, like, being in this, like... You know, it's not like a prison. It's not a prison, but like he's like resigned to living there. He- they're meant to be in really bad debt. Yeah, he's because he's got like creditors that he can't pay off, so that's why he's sort of hidden himself. It's a really disturbing portrayal of this guy. So yeah, much just so like that- resignation to your sort of economic doom. <laughs> he's never even met. Fuck. There's interesting parallels with Song Kang Ho's character, but he's never even met Nathan Park. The patriarch of the rich family but he loves him so much yeah. and he like just thanks him for like providing him with food that like his wife was stealing like from the yeah in like a really ritualized way and he's uh, like hurting himself to like praise him and stuff like that it's really uh upsetting yeah but that's what a lot of people are like isn't it you know just total bootlickers you know like this guy's a real victim but he's he's also like extremely passive until until he's not, I guess that that's maybe another of the sort of theses of the of the film, that um, in this sort of political, socio-economic situation, like, is it is a radical, like, violent extension of that, you know? When you let the beast out, yeah, or when like you when see you the let like, at the feast, the man out, you realise that it's like, you know. He's, like, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, in the basement, you're like, oh, yeah, he's just, you know, he's just hanging out. And then, like, he gets out. You're like, oh, fuck. So the, so the <laughs> kid is... scary. Are you going to say my scariest bit of the film? Yeah. Yeah. So like... the son of the Park family is, like, really disturbed, haunted from this time that he saw a ghost. And now he just acts really weird and, like, does all these weird drawings and stuff. Yeah, and the, the way that um, the mum relays this information to... Uh, Jessica. Uh, to Jessica is terrifying. They're like in the kitchen, like where it took place, and it's like night and it's dark. And she's saying, "Oh, like he snuck down some birthday cake, and then he saw a he saw a ghost, and it like plays out as she's describing it. And the way the ghost appears, even though she's describing it, and like it's not from her perspective." The dude looks so scary <laughs> and like subterranean. Oh yeah. That when he comes up, like it's entirely credible that like that's how if you're like describing it in like a detached way, you'd be like, oh, like this like fucking bug-eyed like, it looked like twitchy um, breads like peeking out. What? What's the film? You've seen it as well, I swear. Oh, Oni Baba. Oh, is that like a Japanese? Yeah, about the ghost um, film. Is it about like the widows who? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's got really scary people. ghost apparitions. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even though, you know, 
I'm gonna sound like such a like a such a facile thing to say, but like the real horror is like you know that like that horror sequence. Even though it's like it's a blend of a lot of things. It's literal. Horror, it's literal. Yeah, it's this like a slight horror film. It's like kind of a comedy film, kind of a thriller, kind of a drama, all of this stuff. But the horror element is like shown to be like a joke or whatever. Yeah. Or, or not a joke, but like. I mean, it's not like an actual monster. You know, the monster is. I was going to say the monster is unveiled, but, like, it's not even a monster until, like, the logical extension of the logic of capitalism. Well, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the whole thing, isn't it? More to celebrate about Parasite, I think. For sure. Just some, I mean, you mentioned that the dialogue is really funny and, you know, there are some really hilarious bits. Bong's relationship with, like, US culture or imperialism, or cultural imperialism, is in pretty much all his films. In this one, it's, like, maybe less... Uh, prevalent although like it's obviously very much so there but it's not like US soldiers in it or something for sure but, but it, um, it is about teaching the kid like, English the well though, this is like... the thing the way the cultural imperialism comes in is that like mm. the use of language the use of phrases the first one is it really sort of sets up how we're meant to perceive like the rich housewife where um what's the name Min the guy that like sets up the tutoring job he's like she's uh how do I describe and then in English, uh, simple, <laughs> like, you know, when they're trying to express Jessica's credibility as a potential art tutor, he's like specifically consciously uses like English words and like, you know, she went to Illinois State University, like really like, so it like jumps exactly. out and like she loves it. They're She's really like, enchanted oh, by the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> the mom is my favorite character in the film, like the, the rich mom. She is a... Uh, Sort of narcolepsy. Well, yeah, like, she's so, like, not there, like... I guess she is just, like, a stereotypical, like, bored housewife, like, when the Simpsons moved to, like, the nice house with Hank Scorpio and Marge is just, like, drinking wine, you know, at home all day long, like, totally, like, cat... It's interesting in this film because the nature of all the work that these people do for this family is to, like, keep them as, like disassociated and like alienated from like everything around them as possible oh yeah and the so like the idea of like the mum being terrified of like catching tb off the old housekeeper or like that yeah because they rehearse this scene to be like what do you mean does tv still exist like stuff like that do people still get tv and they, yeah they, like, they can you know, predict everything that she's gonna say yeah, which she's yeah. totally like, <laughs> she's really stupid like you know but she's like a nice lady <laughs> But she has all the funniest lines in the film and she comes oh, out with yeah. all the English. Comes out with like a lot of the English stuff. Like... You know when people have an accent or even learn English like from watching like Friends or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. sick American sitcoms. And like, I guess the idea of like latching onto like catchphrases to like drop them like casually and like, and, like make like a bit of a face when they do it. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> um, but, you know. It's a funny this other is an thing though. This of like his critique of... It's a fun... Yeah, for sure. Because this, the kid is obsessed with tomahawks and, like, Native American... Oh, yeah, she keeps being like, oh, like, we should order it from the US. Like, that's where, like, good stuff is made. Yeah, but he's dressing know. up as, like, yeah, yeah. chief... Don't yeah, know, it's entirely know. detached from, um, you know, contemporary identity politics. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure kids still play cowboys in India. Of course. But it's funny, like, the Americanness of so much of the things that haunt the film. Oh, wow, this. 
it's very deliberate. Everything in his films are really deliberate. Like, he doesn't leave anything up to chance. Like, and Parasite has a surprising amount to say for, for such a successful film, certainly compared to Green Book last year. I was surprised when it won, when it did so well at the Oscars. I was even more surprised after I'd seen it, because you just don't expect them to reward, like, interesting, analytical, critical. I mean, look, I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's like an art house film. No, it's not. It's not. that's how I really feel man and we'll keep on coming back to it with his other films like he's a really deliberate and like singular filmmaker I think it would be impossible to like misinterpret Parasite although I'm sure people have been doing it willingly oh it's extremely unambiguous man in its class analysis in right. um, how its metaphor unfurls on the parameters of it as like a parable yeah unambiguous and how all the like even real like nuances of like the themes are like tied super into the plot the idea that like oh they've they had this thing to be like super scared of like the threat from like north korea mm. meanwhile the american cultural imperialism has just like gone down a hundred percent and like mm. and the kim family the working class family even when they're like doing the con it's not like praxis you know like the dad is like he says like oh Mr. Park is a really, really nice man, you know. Yeah, they're talking about, I guess, like the, if you're rich, you can afford to be nice, basically. The mum is like, the kid mum is like, saying this as she's like, you know, if I was rich, I'd be nice. So she like swats away the dog. She's like, fuck off. At the exact same time. Another thing that illuminates like this, though, is um, they're at home, uh, the Kims, and Sung Gang Ho's character says, oh, in a time when, you know, 400 graduates are applying for a, a job as a security guard. Mm -hmm. We've all got employed at the same time, you know. Like, so, yeah, as you said, so like, there's such, and... like, passivity to this, like, form of resistance. Like, even though they're doing this, like, hilarious con, yeah. it's still, like, a graft, and it's still, like, participation in the sort of economic, well, hegemonic model. Certainly. You see, like, numerous times at the end of the, in the, like, towards the end of the film, in the third act of the film, where one of the parks is telling is getting them to do something like that isn't part of their job and telling them oh like i'll pay you extra like consider it part of your like hours and yeah. stuff like that yeah and it's all about outsourcing all these like imaginary forms of labor always approach you know riley For sure. the fucking mirth of biopolitics you know <laughs> which is the whole thing at the ending it's not a bittersweet ending. It's like an incredibly bitter and sour ending where the son really wants to buy the house. And yeah. he thinks one day he's going to work really hard and like make enough money to buy this million, million, million dollar, whatever. Yeah, despite their experiences, that still their actions and motivations are still governed by this sort of aspirational economic logic which belies, you know, all emotional, psychological experiences. It's the real parasite. Yeah. And yeah, he's not going to buy the house. It was a dream. Like, 
fucking yeah. <laughs> savage last shot. You yeah. know. The whole end of the film has a sort of fugue fantasia feel where it's like, you know, it is like a fan. It is a fantasy. It's yeah. just a bit bleak, you know. It is bleak. Everyone suffers under capitalism, you know. All the families in the film lose a family member. Yeah. As so, a direct oh. result of, you know, the like explosion of uh, praxis, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the revolution. Yeah, and the the guillotine. Yeah, they, it's it's coming. The next two films we're going to be talking about are probably films that consolidated Bong's international status. Snowpiercer from 2013 and Okja, 2017's uh, sort of Netflix release. You saw Snowpiercer for the first time recently, didn't you? I'd never seen it before and I thought it was beautiful and breathtaking. Talking about colour... Like, when I started out watching it, I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to hate this. It's so, like, miserable and grey. But, like, the, the visually, like, so well designed and shot, I think, mm. to tell this pretty interesting story. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting and commendable story. It's based on a French uh, sort of sci-fi graphic novel. I'm not sure when it's from, but... Timeless. <laughs> I think it's like an extremely French, like sort of dystopian. Apparently, the, the reminds me of like Luc Besson or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The City of a Thousand Planets or something. Apparently, the story of Snowpiercer isn't actually from one of the comics. It's like he tried to write a story that takes place on that train, but isn't actually from the like law established by the comics themselves or the characters. I don't think. Interesting. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Cool. That makes it a lot more interesting. And also, he's obviously a director, a writer-director who crafts his projects with great specificity in terms of the themes, the content, the stories. So, you know, if he is imposing, like, this extremely bait-class analysis onto, you know, just, like, a train film, then that makes it, like, more dope. For me, Snowpiercer is, yeah, as I just said, like, when I think... I rewatched it for this. I saw it a few years ago. I just think of it as, like, sort of hilariously bait, like, Marxist allegory. Because that is what it is, right? I guess, like, High Rise. I liked it more than High Rise, which I liked. Yeah, it didn't get much of a look-in on the Trains episode with Darrell, but I guess there's no, like, the train driving isn't really central. The train is just going around the world. It's in, like, a new ice age after, like, a sort of ecological... A man-made disaster where we, like, put some shit in the atmosphere and then it, like, (laughs) causes a new ice age. I guess, like, all of um, Bong's films, like, it is critical of, like, you know, these, like, (laughs) fucking evil globalist, like, ventures. And now the human race has been 
reduced to, I guess, about like 200 people or something, just the inhabitants of this train. Poor at the back, rich at the front, bang. That's it. But we follow around um, a few characters. You've got Chris Evans. He's Captain America. Is he? Oh, yeah, he is Captain America. He, he's Captain America. And that was presumably made before Snowpiercer. You're saying some wild lines of dialogue in this film. Great piece of casting. Yeah. Very clever. I guess like the way Hitchcock would use like James Stewart or Anthony Mann would use James Stewart to subvert their sort of star persona and like get them to say some really crazy stuff and like have some mad stuff happen to them. It's really good casting actually. Yeah. So it's got Jamie Bell playing Irish. Tilda Swinton. Pretty good, good role, I think. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's the sort of like... So the rich characters, like, or, like, the... Sorry, the rich characters, the, like, oppressors of this, like, system where, you know, the poor are, like, herded to the back. They've had, like, failed revolutions. She's, like, sort of, like... She's like the emissary or something. As you're saying about the colour, they have, like, really colourful outfits and stuff. It's, like, all, like, signed... Again, maybe this is why I feel like it's based. It's all, like, signposted like that, you know. I like how the film works, like, uh, you know, you're getting, you're, like, revealing, revealing more about yeah. the nature of, like, well, the whole world as it is in this film, like, as you progress and you have to fight your way there or, like, trick your way there, you know? Yeah. And they're met with huge resistance, obviously. They're just trying to get to, this is a story of, like, some people trying to get to the front of the train. So, yeah, Chris Evans and um, Song Gang Ho from, um, as we said, Parasite. Yeah. I think there is a lot to enjoy in it. Like, as an action film as well, I feel like I'm sort of turning away from action as a genre, but, I mean, fantastic I choreography and, like... Yeah, for sure. I never watched these kind of films, so I was really... Ended up being doubly impressed by it, like, when I watched Venom. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, for what it was, I thought it was really, really, really good. Apparently, it was not received well by the producer of the film, Harvey Weinstein. Ugh, um, yeah, when the title card... The like production card came up at the beginning. I was like, presumably that Ooh. is a, a Quentin Tarantino hookup because he was a very early yeah. champion of yeah. Bong's work. Anyway, after like you know this like bringing this genius director to come work in the states and like tell the story and like apparently like Bong recalls like having to meet Harvey Weinstein and like being like greeted with like a handshake saying like Bong you're a genius and then he like shows him like the like mauled like cut of the like the Miramax cut which has like half an hour taken out of it or whatever Bong resisted and didn't let them take loads out of the film and as a result it didn't get screened internationally in cinemas apart from I guess maybe in South Korea it didn't here yeah well, you said when was its premiere last yeah, so week <laughs> the first screening of Snowpiercer in a UK cinema was last week at the BFI for like Tilda Swinton's like retrospective fellowship which is just insane because it's a you know it's a Chris Evans movie, or whatever that means. And it's got so much appeal. Yeah. It was suppressed. I mean, look, for all its, like, excellent class analysis, it's, you know, a ripping yard, you know? Like, it's a jokes film. Has some, like, hilarious bit reveals, you know, in this, like, dystopian situation. If you want to see Chris Evans, you know, confess to... Cannibalism. <laughs> Cannibalism, yeah. Awesome sequence. He did it well. I believed Chris Evans yeah. had tasted, you know, grilled ba- baby baby flesh before. Yeah, <laughs> very memorable sequence. Yeah, 
again, uh, like sort of politics of consumption is is a big part of this. Like there's so it's like that Future Armor episode where they um, what's the fucking product they? Oh they... yeah, the <laughs> slum. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's based off uh, Soylent Green. It's yeah, the same yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah, same yeah, old thing. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, they're eating these like reconstituted bugs. Basically, they find out and after they'd eaten half of their compartment. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, the suspension of disbelief was challenged, I'd say, quite a lot while I was watching this. Sure. The logistics of the film, like, they're in, like, a boiler room, a boiler, let's say, carriage, and then, like, next... That, how many car- cars does this train have? Next, they're in, like, a crash, right? Where they're indoctrinated with, like, fascist No, they go through the aquarium first before the crash. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, they got the fucking yeah. all the fish. Yeah, and then how does like the opium chill room fit into this? That's uh, the club bit, or whatever. Yeah. That's after the school. After school, you go to the club. Yeah, I just. Felt... But I guess there's no. The idea is there's no mobility. Like you don't pass. Like you don't go back and forth between the compartments. You know, you're a kid and you say a kid, and then you go. You're not supposed to transcend the, the levels. And how does the like. 20s themed bar lounge fit into this it's like a cool concept but like it's a bit silly maybe. i think it's a bit silly so but i think it, what, you know what it tells you is pretty you know the the like fake aspirational politics of parasite are like nowhere to be seen it's like really the opposite and it's it takes place in like a really post-apocalyptic society you've got ed harris who's like the boss and the scene with him is really interesting i think where he talks about the nature of the world and then obviously For sure i mean it's extremely philosophical but like Again, yeah, it just becomes a bit a bit on the nose, maybe. Sure. This is not to the sure. discredit of it, because it's an extremely entertaining film, but maybe that's the the challenge of making... A mainstream film. Like, a mainstream film, but, like, maintaining this, like, sort of... Well, I think I was always expecting it to be... You've seen it quite a few times, right? I think yeah, I was like, always sort of expecting things. it to be a bit disappointing by the nature of the fact that it's not, like, Memories of Murder, you know? It's, like, mm. an international film, and it's, like, a hurdle that a lot of, like international filmmakers like struggle with yeah like Jean Renoir's like Swamp Water no one likes that film or whatever like these kind of things it's interesting how he um negotiated that by like you know having Korean characters in it like having like a it seemed like international quality to it I rate it like I feel I, this yeah. is the weakest one for me personally I like how sealed off it is I like how hermetic it is um the ending I guess it's like a hopeful ending but like I'm really scared of polar bears, you know. It's like, there's <laughs> yeah. no hope for humanity, like, at all. There's even less hope when you meet that polar bear. For me, that the message of that was, like, even if humanity is doomed in that scenario, it doesn't really matter because the implications of, like, the man-made disaster were, like, you know, all life is, like, fucked. So, like, for life to be flourishing, like, it doesn't really matter whether it's human or not. Get rid of the humans. That's, like, a pretty horrible message, but I also sort of was like, yeah, life finds a way. That's it, yeah. <laughs> life finds a way. Humans started it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I thought on all fronts this film killed it. The mise-en-scene, like, music, all of these things. It was, like, surprisingly sick. For its shortcomings, in my opinion, it still also demonstrates everything that's sick about Bong as a filmmaker. yeah. From like his interpretation and use of space, like his work with like the actors, the uh, the two American ones or the two English language ones are distinctly less funny, I think. 
Yeah, maybe a different sort of. It still has humor and, and like irony, certainly. Mm. There's this like rumor going around that like the Ed Harris character is like a pedophile and then he's not yeah. a pedophile, but he's like having still these kids sent to the front just for their labor. Really horrific. I mean, it is all about exploitation. Yeah. I don't know why I'm cool on this one. I really would recommend watching it. And I, it's just because all these films are so, I think, are so good that. Sure. This is maybe just the latest one for me. But I liked it a lot more than Okja, which is a really good film. Yeah, I um I watched it when it came on to Netflix like a couple of years ago. It was one of the first big, it was one of the first ever Netflix films, I think. It feels like a million years ago now because it's been such a steady stream since then. But when Okja premiered at Cannes, as most of his films have in competition, there were loads of boos because it was a Netflix yeah. presentation. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because this is... Like another super subversive anti-global capitalist. Yeah, very anti-corporate. Yeah. The premise of Okja is that a young Korean girl who lives in a sort of rural mountain area grows up with this like super pig called Okja, who she like obviously has a very close relationship with, living in this like remote area. But Okja is like the property of a sort of industrial biochem like sort of agri-corp sort of like evil company like Monsanto or something yeah and you know it's genetically engineered and they want to sort of requisition them under the pretense of like a best super pig competition pageant yeah yeah ritualized murder and it's about you know Okja gets sort of taken to America and it's about her mission to save her the film opens with like a, it's like the start of Black Klansman or something. You've got the like propaganda, like advert from the company or whatever, like foregrounding the whole thing. It's like, this is their like project. Something he also does in Snowpiercer actually, in the sort of nursery, they watch like a sort of political education video that's like, yeah, it's a How sanitized, you have to know your place like, and... you know, consumer manual. I just think in, in this one, because it's right at the start and it's a Netflix film, I don't know, it's super interesting, you know, as a sort of advert. Again, this is Tilda Swinton delivering this like, sort of sales pitch. With, like, no, well, it's like Robocop, the new one. It's oh, exactly wow, yeah, the same. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Exactly the same. I think that came out around the same time. Maybe it was an influence. What's that on you? Robocop is better than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah, fair. But yeah, it's about the horrors of, you know, the meat industry or whatever. Yeah, yeah and it really, is very hor- obviously, it really is horrifying. It's like, another film that's like very hard to misinterpret or whatever. Yeah. It also, uh, yeah, I feel it's... <laughs> I feel like it sort of invokes, like, My Neighbour Totoro, uh-huh. uh, where uh-huh. it's, like, this, like, big, like, cuddly, like, nature-loving, like, beast. But then if that was, like, kidnapped and Jake Gyllenhaal's zany zoologist TV presenter is, like, extracting meat samples from its ass to, like test on consumers. Like, it's just so fucked up. God, yeah, the, the Jake Gyllenhaal... <laughs> performance I, obviously a lot of people hate it i think it's great actually to be honest he yeah. plays like a sort of steve Irwin. i liked it i also liked velvet bustle yeah right i haven't seen I it. that's another that's another one that's quite like loco right for, yeah for yeah, yeah he's great he is great um, in this but, film he's uh you know there's a lot of drunkenness in uh bong's film this one is the the biggest like alcohol abuser and as like a western character his drunkenness is very different to the drunkenness of like Song Kang-ho's characters in Parasite or the host he's an absolute monster he's like forcing the the pigs to like breed and he's like you know 
Also, it's also important to note that like it's an extremely zany performance. I think is the appropriate word to use, like Jim Carrey esque or something. Uh, like yeah, I guess that's born of like him like having like a TV persona or like being like a, a product himself. But uh, the way it's like it's an extremely like physical performance. I guess a bit camp. He has two voices in it. What's like this? Like his normal voice. And then he has his TV voice that's like this. And again, this is like a fleet. I guess we could go into like Tilda Swinton's performance, which is equally like mannered and caricature. It's a dual role where she plays yeah, like yeah. the two heirs of this company. And like there's a real crisis for the company because everyone thinks they're an evil company. So they need to like have this like bright idea of like the pigs and the competition to like make them seem like a good company or whatever even though so they pageant wash themselves <laughs> but they only they only have to outdo themselves in like doing horrific abusive stuff outside of that sort of core of characters is the sort of animal rights activists Love them. um the animal liberation front that i think it is um headed by paul dano uh, as a sort of like reservoir dog <laughs> <laughs> Where they're all like hippies and he's, you know, in a suit and he's like... <laughs> Stephen Yin, also in Burning. Um, he's great uh, in this film, I think. I guess best known to Western audiences in The Walking Dead. But yeah, he was in... Um, he was a nice sorry, sorry to bother you as well, he was great in that. It's the like union oh, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of similar. Sorry to bother you actually is a film that's kind of like these ones where yeah. it's like super satirical and like... Bit, a bit larger than life, but also like quite reflexive and super deliberate. Yeah, those scenes were great, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved the bit at the end when Paul Dano's character it's like a post credit scene where Paul Dano's character comes out of prison and he's, he looks like fucking Jeremy Corbyn in the 70s. But like, I don't know, it's obviously like, I guess, sort of about like PETA and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's a bit bait, but also like, uh, obviously, an interesting story to tell and like raise a lot of like ethical questions in terms of like organization and resistance as well yeah it's a shame that the peter characters aren't the heroes of the film they are like liars and like just as like flawed as like i think that's like um you know just a sort of anti-institutional perspective it's some anti-american shit as well you know what i'm talking about i think bong is critical of all institutions yeah he's just very irreverent isn't he yeah this film again this has like a super like shakespearean resolution where like even if well not shakespearean very bittersweet. But, yeah, just like horribly ironic where like, yeah, I guess like you save the pig, but like you got Okja walking away and there's like, you've been with the one pig the whole time and then you're suddenly confronted with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them in this like enormous battery farm where they're all been like, yeah, like you got to save, the girl got to save Okja, but like it means nothing because this whole thing is going on and like. They also save a little baby, <laughs> a little baby pig. But yeah, I mean, it's extremely bleak uh, lack of resolution. Yeah, they go back and they can return to their normal lives. But I mean, it's not a nice ending, you know? Right. It's not like a, it's not a revolution. No, it goes on. It's like a... People eat the the delicious, delicious meat. Good movie. Heartbreaking. Very sad. Again, another like interesting balance of tones between like having like a child protagonist and like this sort of like familiar story like you would see in a kid's film mixed with this like satirical like yeah like in the loop or something like that mixed with like the horrific sequences of the jake Gyllenhaal character yeah it must have been a difficult film to make 
difficult film to pitch. So good on Netflix for giving director Bong the artistic freedom to tell the story that he had to tell. Hail Netflix. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah, just further to that, Darius Konji was the cinematographer for this one. True. Um, I think his work on this film is like more impressive than quite a lot of like Uncut Gems or like some of the other films that he's been making. I mean, it has a CG protagonist, basically, this film. You know, it goes way further with this uh, sort of presence of the CG character than uh, the host does, as, as we'll get to mm. uh, when we discuss that one. Um, I mean, that's basically a bit more fleeting. This is like, you know, there are whole actions, multiple action sequences, and like sort of passive sequences where it's just present. Face acting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this one has a fantastic chase sequence, as well as having some nice, like, sort of rural mountainous stuff. But a lot of his films have cool chase sequences, don't they? This one takes place in Seoul, as Okja's been kidnapped, and um, is it, like, Mia? The, the main character, the, like, kid is, like, some fucking Matrix reloaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, the second one is, but yeah, it's my favourite. <laughs> but yeah, great sequence. There are chase sequences and it's sort of a motif in his... As I was watching the other ones, I was like, it? damn, right, here we go. It's yeah. chase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, Incoherence, chase. Barking Inc- Dogs has two. Yeah. Memories of Murder has a golf ball as well. Yeah, definitely. Mother. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? The ho- yeah, Mother <laughs> does. The, the best sequence they've all got chased when they're chasing the people around the golf, the golf oh course. yeah so yeah. awesome like, Parasite uh, sort of when they're running from uh, the Park family to their home that's sort you know I think it has the same function as a chase sequence with like the tension and sort of necessity involved. Yeah, you can allow the editing to take over like make a bit like bring out the pace a little bit like make the music a bit louder and frame it in really interesting ways you know it's very it can be fast paced like Ogja is like a pretty westernised film, I'd say. Yeah. Or that, it, or that it uses strategies, I think, that appeal to and sort of action motifs and sort of cinematographic techniques that appeal to Western audiences. It's a really dope film, I think. Yeah. When it came out, I remember everyone, like, a lot of people seeing it and loving it. Yeah. In my memory, I was less less hot on Ogja. When I rewatched it, I wasn't expecting it to like it as much as I did. And I found it really resonant and moving as well as like very entertaining i think it's it fits really well into his filmography you know watching a bunch of them in sequence or in you know concentration as we have done like it shines yeah. quite a lot i think for his like subversive like caustic avarice-esque technique of infiltration yeah in the film industry ratings as donald trump said america's got enough problems with trade now they've got to start watching the south korean movies <laughs> Can't they bring back Gone with the Wind? Fire. You're still listening to Film Grades. Having spoken about Snowpiercer and Okja, we're now going to go back to the beginning of Bong's career. Back in time. Yeah to the sort of work that established him in Korea and built his international reputation from a really early stage, actually. Mm. Um, Yeah, we're going to start with 1994's Incoherence. Which was a a student film. I think it was his film school work. But it was mad successful and got shown cinematically in South Korea and got seen by loads and loads and loads of people. 
yeah, also shown at international film festivals, um, which was you know a big de- a big deal for Young Bong. Really interesting short film, actually. It's in four, uh, four parts, three parts, and an epilogue. Um, we had to sort of watch it across YouTube and Vimeo. The third part we didn't have subtitles for, but we still got the. G- the yeah, I mean, it's the but that's the demonstration of the Hitchcock principle, you know, that you should be able to watch a film like without sound, like without being able to understand the dialogue or without dialogue and let's still be able to have the story told and he's obviously a very Hitchcockian filmmaker absolutely the first three parts of the story are sort of quotidian interactions um that three uh like sort of middle-aged Korean dudes have on the streets and in their sort of workplaces one's a professor one's a well we see that one's a professor the others are just like sort of blokes and then, in, and then in the fourth one, another character from the first one. They're watching like a sort of news night or like, yeah, like, like a panel a, show. Yeah, full of these like experts, these like conservative luminaries of, you know, logic gods of... Leaders of society, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's these people who you've seen behaving like outrageously. In yeah, the- like public urinators like or I, I think it's less that like their their behavior is like you know it's less passing a judgment on their the behaviors but than on like their Society. hypocrisy yeah 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 for sure um, it's just like, it's hilarious it, it's really funny it reminded yeah. me of um sallow <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh, i thought yeah i thought it was really really funny the first one where you've got the professor like running upstairs after he gets a student to like retrieve something from his office and then he realizes he left his like porn out yeah. on his desk so he like races her up the stairs and like beats her to his office so he can like what is the textbook that he puts down on top of the thing to like like throws it across the room it's hilarious it's so joke it's like i can't remember but it was like ironically funny something to do with quantitative and qualitative like social analysis or some shit like <laughs> i can't get like it's a massive book yeah and yeah it's just like it says this, the thing that Bong says in most of his films about how, like, the heads of these institutions, they're irresponsible. They are not fit to rule. For sure. I mean, Bong is like a political, social dissenter. He's been in jail. Coming from an extremely specific Korean context. Mm. You know, he's part of, like, a filmmaking milieu, but also, very, as I said, very much a product of his time, where... The U.S. presence in South Korea was very strongly felt. Sort of the dialectical tension between the sort of, I guess, like social democratic capitalist future of South Korea versus the communist future of North Korea. His granddad was, uh, you know, defected from the South to North Korea. Very inspiring behavior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it quite. I, I, I don't know. He it's studied not- sociology. Like he's obviously always had like a interest in, you know society yeah yeah <laughs> like i think there are filmmakers that you can say they have literally zero interest in the concept of society far less have a sociological approach to filmmaking um or like a sort of class analysis you know an interest in consumerism superstructures or you know mm. as well as being like a jokes guy who makes really entertaining films but yeah this is at the forefront of all the stories he's trying to tell I did liken it to like, or it did remind me of like Costa Gavras as well, like Z definitely. And that kept on coming up for me. Like the host I found to be very, very like that. You know, there's uh, 
sort of like fake news in his films and stuff like that. And the media is like central again. Most of the most of his films have a sequence like the end of Incoherence where the character is like having having the resolution being provided to them by like a TV broadcast. Like I think it's in pretty much every yeah, single Yeah, package one. propaganda, people go- gathering around, you know, the tele broadcast. Getting the message from the, the TV. He's certainly sensitive towards like these forms of communication. In Parasite, for example, there's a scene where once, you know, the shit hits the fan, it's the third act and all chaos is broken out and like, mm. in the uh, like rich people's home while they're away. The old housekeeper and her husband have been like reunited and she's like satirizing North Korean TV propaganda mannerisms. Yeah. I like the um I can't remember what it's called. The TV show they watch in Memories of Murder, like the the, re, the like detectives watching the actual when they're like singing the theme tune and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. loving it like the fake version of what they're doing or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, you're right though. These scenes occur in every every film, and you know he wants us to interrogate in the way that he is interrogating. You know these forms of communication. Yeah, people love it. Yeah, I love it. Should we get onto Barking Dogs Never Bite? It's a really interesting film. I hadn't seen this one. Um, I hadn't actually really heard of it either yeah. until um, we decided to do the, the deep dive. Um, six years after the success of Incoherence, he made this sort of autobiographical comedy farce film. Um, the apartment of the protagonist is his apartment. It's about a frustrated oh, academic. Oh, like a souvenir. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's like if um, Joanna Hogg demonstrated that sort of reflexivity, like, at the time. <laughs> you know? And it's like about, yeah, it's about a frustrated academic living in an apartment block who hears this, like, barking dog, much like young Albus, who you may have, listeners may have noticed in the background. A third um, member of Phil Graves. <laughs> film Graves. The third host of Film Graves. <laughs> Um, and he's led to like sort of farcically drastic measures to, you know, it's a bit nasty. I really. found it really, I found uh, it really yeah. upsetting. You know, <laughs> the first scene he like throws a dog off the roof. I feel like there's a little bit more character development before to like make his decision to do that logical or or like reasonable because he's not like a monster in it. No, no, no. He's sympathetic. I mean, like it's also the story of like a young a young woman who also doesn't have a job. This is a Bay dealer who's I don't know, probably quite familiar to Western audiences. For it's in like some of the like Wachowski films. Is it? This was, I think, her first feature film in right. Korea, um, and like she's probably one of the most famous Korean actresses today. <laughs> you didn't know I that. Did not know that. Yeah, yeah she's something. also in the host, but yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was also in the Korean version of uh, The Ring, I found out. but uh, The Korean version? Yeah. Is The Ring Korean? No, it's Japanese. And then there was a Korean-Japanese co-production, I guess around the same time as Barking Dogs, where she plays, like... The girl. The Ring. But yeah, in this, uh, this is another another way in which Bong brings, like, the sort of class analysis, the, the social quality, like, She's like a Clark, like just like dead, like. But she takes takes justice into her own hands, like. Uh... Oh yeah, it's her, <laughs> like her dog. <laughs> is it? It's her yeah. dog. Yeah. It's her dog. No, okay. What happens is, he 
her dog first, he um, stows away in a cupboard. Subsequently, he finds out that dog can't even bark because it had a throat operation, right? There are other run-ins. There are run-ins with other dogs throughout it. Um, but while she's searching for her dog, she's like strikes up like something with him. Also, while she's like pursuing this guy who she's seen using some binoculars across like apartment roofs, dashing a dog off a roof, right? It's him. Right, she doesn't notice, like, as their, like, relationship blossoms. He's also, like, cucked. <laughs> and, yeah. When one of the first scenes with her is, like, he's like, oh, I want to go out tonight. And she's like, crack these nuts. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I guess if it's an autobiographical film or whatever, he was trying to, like... Yeah, of course. It, it's yeah, it's yeah. Oh. It's a really funny film. It really is, dark humour. Like, one of his most humorous. It's interesting, right? Because you got it all. It pretty much all takes place in the apartment block in the sort yeah. of like. You know. There are some pretty like tatty style, definitely chase sequences in this. You know, definitely. the sort of side on like Tom and Jerry and the isometric <laughs> perspective. Yeah, but the the guy who's like it's an interesting social model, right? Because there's one guy who's like taking the dogs to eat them. Yeah, we haven't even got into this. The first dog that he like. <laughs> Hides in a cabinet. This is one of the most interesting things about it, for sure. Um, He hides the dog in a cabinet. He goes to retrieve it. And he's like, what? Where the fuck is it? He's in the basement, right? You know, another, like, motif of... A lot of basements. A lot of subterranean settings. Yeah, with their, like, sort of concurrent social implications. Um, But in this... um, He's like the night manager or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Or like the caretaker. Yeah. He's like always in the car yeah. park. This park. is um, Byun Hee Bong, mm-hmm. um, who's been in like, he's in Memories of Murder, The Host, yeah. Okja. He it's has like, a great speech in this where he's like talking to like another guy in the basement, just like telling him this like crazy ghost story as he's like stewing this dog. Right. Um, and yeah, again, like I feel like I keep saying this, but like the shit about like what we consume is obviously, like, part of what he's interested in in, like, society. Um, and, like, the taboos right. involved in food. Right all the way up to Okja, all the cannibalism yeah. in Snowpiercer. But then he teaches someone else. There's a homeless guy living in the base, like, the parasite. Anyway, this is the guy that gets, like, implicated. Mm. Even though he, he didn't really do anything. Like. Yeah, so the, 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 like, sort of climax of the film is crazy, actually. It's mad. And um, uh, at this point, I, I want to um, give credit to this book published by the uh, Korean Film Council. Mm-hmm. They have this, like, Korean film director series. Young Yi Yoon's Bong Joon-ho, 2008, before he made Mother. But... It's pretty sick to have a study of your work published after your third feature film. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's a really comprehensive book. One of the most interesting things about it is that it publishes... Um, like quite extensive interviews with Bong um, about the sort of production of one of my favourite scenes is like this end scene where Bay Duna has this confrontation on a roof with the homeless man who's like learnt how to eat dogs um, and throughout the film it's like sort of like drab and then like colour is used like quite like consciously in terms of like clothing and then it becomes like mad at the end all the other roofs um, like around it are like populated with people dress in yellow like dancing it's great it's like something out of an anime it's like mad it's mad 
Very cool. Yeah. The the ending sequence was brilliant, actually, I think. Even though I didn't really enjoy watching most of the film or whatever, just because yeah. I was so troubled by the premise. I could watch Salo, that's fine, but, you know, the barking dogs, oh, no. <laughs> I guess it is sort of about this, like, dissonant, this, like, ethical dissonance. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, what's the difference between throwing a dog off a building and killing it and eating it, or... I didn't know this was the hard talk podcast. I'm not. We don't have to answer those questions. Yeah. No. Oh, sorry. Just sorry. This is entirely film. rhetorical. <laughs> like, um, but it's really similar to Parasite in tone and in yeah the themes and I think yeah also uh, how audiences relate to the sort of protagonists of them, even as they like do like sort of indecent things or you know unemployment foregrounded, societal issues foregrounded. Like living standards foregrounded. What I like about it compared to his next film is that it's the story of an amateur detective, like the young girl, and she figures it out. She doesn't really know the truth, but that's not the point. But she does figure it out and solve the crime. There's a sense of resolution, but it doesn't really relate to any sort of objective reality. Yes. The next film is about professional police detectives and their like incompetence and inability to solve, like, like this really serious, like, series of murders, you know? So that's nice, you know? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I mean, it's like, message. it's way more self-contained than, like, something that has to have a discourse about how shitty and militaristic South Korean society was for much of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it really entertaining. Surprisingly okay. entertaining. I laughed, like, a lot when I was watching it. I'd recommend trying to track it down. Yeah. It's good. If you can't handle the imaginary animal cruelty i thought they were going to do in the dog in uh, parasite obviously and the, the dog survived couple of years after Barking Dogs Never Bite, director Bong undertook a grander, more ambitious project, a period piece, a more sweeping narrative, a lot more characters, a lot more settings. And whereas Barking Dogs was sort of pretty inconsequential comedy film, uh, this is about like the first ever serial killer case in South Korean history, an unsolved case at the time they were making the film, Yeah, which is really at the forefront. That's not really a spoiler. I found it so funny that in bong's like sight and sound top 10 list in 2012 he put zodiac in his top 10 films oh yeah it's so similar and yeah. that was like five years old yeah, yeah yeah yeah. obviously <laughs> playing a huge debt to memories of murder you know came out in 2003 it was already like sort of a classic which dealt with a really troubling period of korean sort of contemporary history um set against like the military governments of like the fifth republic which bong was protesting against yeah the periodness of the film is brilliant i think and really really important Mm. because it's about the inability of the police to solve the crime and how they fail to investigate yeah a lot of what bong um has said about this expresses his rage at like the state right um and you know the police being a sort of extension of like this right-wing military government and their failures, you know, to sort of protect the people that were were killed. Which is frustrating when you're watching it and, like, dramatic and, like, really, really intense. Like, Seven. Yeah. Which I guess would have been a bit of a reflexive influence. Yeah. 
before this. Yeah, yeah. Pinch ups, of ups the Zodiac. Kind yeah. of mad. But that's really upsetting when they can't get it. But the, the serial killer is such like a non-presence in this film. Yeah, the fact that it was unsolved is so central. Everything I've read from Bong about this, and like from Song Gang Ho, who plays like the chief detective, um, who, you know, is obviously incompetent and all of them are, that's the whole point. Again, for the Koreans that were watching it, and it was like one of the hugest films, you know, it was huge. It was like very much so part of the sort of public memory at the time. It was actually like solved really recently, yeah. Using like the DNA technology that they do not have access to in the film. Yeah. That's like a big um, part, like they don't have forensics, they have to send shit to America. Like. Um, because they didn't know who the real killer was, and in the production, they wanted to keep that sense of ambiguity. They had different actors. You don't often see the killer, but like you see their body sometimes. Like a stand-in. Yeah, yeah, and they like use like loads of different people. Oh, they come like, very to, close to like, catching the killer in the act. And... There are like three chief um, suspects. you got like a sort of disabled guy. The next guy um, they catch at the crime scene, like having a wank. Yeah, he's like, um, is, and he's is, like is it a, a crime? To... He's like a, he works in like a local quarry. One of the things about Barking Dogs is it has like no extras whereas Memories of Murder like a couple of years later second feature I think they said it had like 400 people in that scene alone or something as you said earlier much larger scale and the third suspect then is like the handsome man yeah like a soft handed guy who like and it's just about how assumptions work prejudice like incompetence Song Gang Ho's character is like I can tell by looking at someone if like they're you know, all I need to do is look in their face. Has a very famous last shot of him, like... I love that, looking the viewer in the eye. As if, because I guess the viewer, Bong Joon-ho said he was convinced that, like, the killer would have seen the film. And that last shot sort of exists. Which is written about really brilliantly in the last sight and sound. The, the Bong-edited issue. It's just a really interesting way to end a film. While they're trying to solve the crime, they're, like, fucking up in all types of ways. You know, they're torturing suspects all the time. Yeah, they love, like, drop-kicking people as well. That was apparently um, improvised, which I love. Well, there's one character for whom drop-kicking is actually a plot device. Yeah. Um, uh, he, you know, ends up, like, getting tetanus, like, after getting in a fight about politics in the, in the pub, and he's a fash, you know, whatever. So he can't he drop-kick no more. Oh, yeah. yeah the... But Song Kang-ho's character, um, actually, uh, yeah, he meets the other lead detective who's been, like, sort of shipped in from Seoul to... Uh, like solve the crime um he like thinks he's like harassing someone so he like drop kicks him and yeah as you said unscripted and everyone was like shit there's meant to be tension between the characters though so there's a lot i mean methody but (laughs) it's bare like twin peaks man to be honest if you like twin peaks watch memories of murder i feel like this in my awareness of like world cinema this was like one of the first ones where it's like all these films like old boy spring summer autumn winter and spring big for the south korean exports i mean when bong in Titan town talked about the south korean films he grew up watching in contrast with all the american films that he'd watch on like the forces tv and stuff like that they don't sound like the kind of films that any of these people are making you know they sound like uh ibsen plays or something <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i mean i feel like it was like quite a when the host came out that was the first ever south korean monster movie right i'm not sure there might have been some presses just in terms of the plot then and the structure that was borrowed from a play which bong saw in like the late 90s called come see me and i think one of the guys it might be the second suspect plays all the suspects in the stage version or something Ooh, like that yeah yeah but um 
and then a lot of it obviously was based on his own research and he was really really like trying to tap into like something that was like really sort of haunting Korean society unsolved at the time and also so related to the negligence of the state that is definitely the the main thing in this book he says the fact that we didn't have the ability to catch the culprit back then has its motif in the sense of group defeatism under the military government of the 1980s and more importantly the fact that the whole era was as dark and violent as the murders that took place in Hwasong and you know that's like really manifest in Great cinematography as well, like, you know. <laughs> I like the way it starts and ends in daylight and then the rest all takes place, like, in the rain at night time. Yeah. Like, it's a great effect. Really a bleak film. It is sad, isn't it? Memories of Murder was a massive success. Sorry, I hate talking in terms of success. And like yeah, fuck, capitalism. there's been so much like, oh, box office. Yeah, you like, made so yeah. much money. <laughs> <laughs> Tim and Eric. Like, in terms of analysing it as like a cultural phenomenon, though, it's sort of important. Bong got to communicate his dissenter's message to numerous people, vast cinema audiences. Some of them, they could have snuck in. I'm sure he would have wanted that, not contributed to the global financial growth. Growth being the... <laughs> operative <laughs> word when it comes to this next film which is a, a monster movie and it was the most gross ever in South Korea when it came out huge film which for like the film that this is I think much like Parasite Success is pretty surprising because the tone is so it's a bit mad well it's based on a true story isn't it <laughs> um, of this like US army like fucking mortician like come on how fucking evil can you get amazing <laughs> instructs a subordinate to pour many many bottles of formaldehyde into the sewage system and into the river which did happen yeah that's the that's the bit that that's based on the true story that's the prologue of the film it's like a south korean worker as well who he's like forcing to pollute his own river i mean really full grounding like a pretty central message. Well, it's similar to Godzilla, right? Which also has the like Godzilla is woken up by nuclear testing or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's not out of nothing. It's the result of human error, or not even like error, like shithousery. You know, just like yeah, willful. Funny because the fracking stuff will actually awaken the monsters one day. You know, <laughs> I mean it's like Snow. I guess it's sort of like Snowpiercer as well yeah. in that like um, the thing is the result of human like interference one thing i really like about the host is that as opposed to like showing as many people getting killed by the thing as possible it's really localized it's all pretty much set in the local area i mean when we uh were kids and we heard about the host it probably wasn't because of these things like it's anti-us imperialist message it's like focus on like the construction of family and like these like social units was obviously important to like Bong. It was just like, oh, it's like cool CGI, <laughs> you know, even though it's really cool and they had a long painstaking time trying to execute it sort of secondary to like the main achievements of the film. It's true, but it was big deal. A big action <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> it's better than Transformers or whatever, which came out mm. around the same time, but it's largely set in this uh, sort of district that was about to be gentrified where they're about to build like knock down a bunch of houses and like build a bunch of high rises which are there now 
and it's like elegiac for the area and like the family's like song kang ho's character's family who live in the sort of shack and have their like what do they sell yeah, it's like a snack shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's like a tour, like it's like a recreational tourist area, and they sell like you know, like the guys that put out like the the chairs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very much so like that. So when the monster comes like right at the beginning of the film, it's quite like shocking and dissonant. Even though it's been foregrounded by this um, quite explicit like, dun dun dun, pouring of chemicals into the river, you know. And when you watch it, like, you know there's going to be a big monster in it. Yeah, but it comes really quickly, and, you know, it's way more about, like, uh, basically it kidnaps um, Son Ho's daughter, and it, that that's what it's about, the mission to rescue her. Not a mission to kill the monster necessarily, or to discover what the monster is, but to, you know, we know it's the result of, like, evil US imperialism. <laughs> it's funny how mishandled the monster is being by the government. There's this, like, virus that doesn't exist, that, like, most of the activity of the government is about like trying to stop the spread of this virus as a way to like contain the population and like manage the crisis. Yeah. It's fucking mad. Like he gets lobotomized as he's like here. Like they lobotomize him and like fuck up the anesthetic and like he's like hearing them like talk about this shit. <laughs> like, he Some... actually survives this and he survives actually it, yeah. like is a different character, a more responsible character afterwards. <laughs> it's a really weird. troubled protagonist. I love song. This is my favorite song, Kan Ho performance. Yeah. I think very sort of sloping. Yeah, there's um... that sequence where he's like falling asleep, and then the granddad reveals to his brother about how like he was malnourished as a kid because they were so poor, and now he's like growing up with like sort of difficulties as a result of not getting enough protein or whatever, and then. He's like just like a daydreamer, you know. He's like a bit of like a loser, but all he wants, he like loves his daughter, you know. So really fantastic actor. Across all the things I've seen him in, a lot of range, and a lot of like physicality as well. Like I think that's important to say as well. But face acting. Yeah, and the face acting. <laughs> on some silent film shit. Uh, my favorite sequence is at this sort of like oh, like public mourning, like yeah, when their girl's been taken. Even though she's still alive, you've seen her like alive in the scene before. But it's like sort of vigil for like yeah. all the people that have been. I feel like that's like that's maybe the one like... moment that like puts like the wider implications in place for like zoning back onto like the individual experience of like the family but it's like the scene in parasite when they're all sleeping in the gym or whatever after the flood or, but in this they're having like a epic fight it's like they're yeah, kicking like each flailing. other screaming yeah. like crying but it's like everyone else is it's more about the family dynamic basically yeah they're like fighting about it like oh they're, they're being like extra them. extravagant about it it feels but like they're like all, one of them's like oh you're a piece of shit you've always been a failure like kicks him in the face as his like daughter's been taken one guy just pulls up and he's just like insanely drunk this is the like brother character who's like unemployed and he's like oh i like fought for democracy in this country and this is i guess he's like Bong. Like Bong, yeah, exactly. Like he was a student at that time and like demonstrated, but his life has no meaning or whatever. He's yeah. just like out. Knows how to make a Molotov cocktail though. Oh, you had problems with how there's a sister who's the archer. Yeah, they're all just like use their special ability. Oh uh, yeah, it's a bit of a cheese fest, isn't it? It's like uh, the end of Barking Dogs has that sort of culmination of the heroic sort of journey, even though it's quite like a quotidian film. It has the farcical elements, but like it becomes quite exaggerated by the end. The end of this, I guess it's gearing towards it, especially because it's like an action film and like a monster movie. Like, there needs to be a big confrontation, but oh, it's like press X, no, <laughs> like special move, yeah, yeah. like it doesn't look like 1917 though, so I didn't, <laughs> yeah. didn't really have the problems. 
it didn't detract from my enjoyment of it. I, I think I do prefer Memories of Murder of the two. Quite similar, like, genre experiments, though. I think the host is, like... I can't think of anything like it. It doesn't fail on any level at all, I think. Like, it tells the story in a really focused way. It manages to balance a lot in the storytelling with the wider scope, like, trying to talk about, like, the government as well as the family story, which is really well represented, touching at times. Humorous, really, it brings together all these qualities. Of I think it's a way better version of all these, like, bait films. Yeah. And it has more to say about the Marxist dialectic fake news. It's a mad entertaining film. Yeah, I really loved it. It's cool that it's on Mubi. Um, I watched it on my phone and I was still really captivated by it the whole time, watching it on the tube to hear and back. I haven't seen it on a big screen, but I haven't seen it on that smaller screen either. No, I remember renting it on DVD when it came out when I was wee. Loved it then. Yeah. Love it more now. Yeah. I think, well, there's just so much to appreciate about it, man, especially looking at it in the context of his filmography. It's just so consistent in its message and how fucking entertaining it is. It's great. Well, to wrap up our survey of the filmography of Bong Joon-ho, we're going to be looking at 2009's Mother. No exclamation mark. <laughs> film I hadn't seen until very recently. Um, I watched it on movie. I think it's like shot to the top of my bong rankings. It's so fantastic. Amongst like many brilliant films, I think it's the one that like it reflects so many of his concerns and themes. And it's also one of the more like small scale humanist films. Yeah, definitely. I guess it sort of constitutes like sort of retraction to that mode after uh, The Host. Also, I think it demonstrates like continuing preoccupation with some of the themes of Memories of Murder and um, that sort of dealing with horrific crimes in communities Rather than from the perspective of the police, this is from the perspective of a mother. Whose son is already in jail and she's trying to prove him innocent. Yeah, that's what the bulk of the film is. Her like sort of quest going around town, talking to like students. It is a detective film. She's like an amateur acupuncturist or whatever and like yeah. bit of a dodgy like wheeler dealer. You know? Yeah, like without a license. Like <laughs> she's like a herbalist as well. Yeah, I think that's yeah, her like yeah. main making the poultices and she's got a really curious relationship with her son there's a, the scene when he like gets into bed with her and he like puts his hands straight on her breath and like <laughs> yeah it's weird he's another one of bong's great like losers he looks really confused throughout the film like i think it was like michael koreski or someone said he's like put him a stone or whatever but i think there's a bit more to it than that like he has like mental difficulties yeah but, he's like, definitely meant to be disabled but they bring to bear on like the plot of the film quite a lot when he's just in that jail cell, like struggling to remember what happened. Um, it starts out with him getting hit by like a speeding car full of like bankers on the way to the country club. He's just out on the street with his mate. It's a hit and run, so they like naturally chase after it, seeking retribution. You know, chase into the country club, fuck up their car, chase them around with golf clubs, like attack their golf cart in like really one of the sickest sequences in Bong's filmography. I think it's like so jokes so manic so Mad energy yeah and uses the lo- this like amazing location and it's like it's physical structure like so well there's so much surprise it's so brilliant then they end up getting done in like the legal battle for it because they fucked up their wing mirror which actually cost more than like the hit and run incident anyway so the son is like rightfully pissed off about this he goes out drinking and that night someone gets murdered and he's the prime suspect. We see what happened in an extremely fragmented way. 
and sort of construction of objectivity is one of the central things here. Um, his issues with like recall are like really central um, in that his recollection of like the golf club incident is like shady um, and that sort of gives credibility to when the murder's been committed and like he's there yeah he's yeah. there yeah I mean as we learn there are other people there like but I feel like I bought into it way more than I did to like Snowpiercer so, like, sure <laughs> that like you know I was along for the ride, you know. <laughs> it is as generic as that, though. It's a noir film. It's like a double indemnity, like, detour. It's one of these kind of films. I lied in saying that that's how the film starts because the film actually starts with, like, a cool dance sequence over the opening credits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, it's so good. Who is the mother? Yeah. I mean, we uh, know who the parasite I, is. We know yeah. who the host is. Who's the mother, Sam? Uh, Gim here very prominent like soap actor like tv presence bong said how like you know he wanted to work with her when he was developing mother he had her in mind he was like talking to her about it you get the impression it was like quite like a syncretic development right and uh you know she's such like a domineering presence in it that first scene of her dancing is mad and you know we we follow her like the whole time and we're very invested in her journey, and it's just a really majestic performance. We really feel her love for her son and her, like, desperation. It's a really good performance. You said it was, like, <laughs> Pat Butcher <laughs> yeah. in a film or whatever. Yeah. But... Just like, I guess, like, for Koreans, like Memories of Murder, you know, where, like, there's a lot of baggage, like, casting obviously, like, means something. We were talking about how you were talking about, rather, how... Chris Evans casting in Snowpiercer. Is, it's is, like a haunted image. Or it, yeah, it's pertinent, yeah. meaningful, loaded, coded, yada yada. Yeah, she's great, especially in the sequences where she murders people. <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. Uh, true to Bong's, like, sort of genre-bending, symbiotic uh, <laughs> filmmaking, uh, you know, it does move into sort of realm of, like, tragedy from, like, noir. I mean, we talked about Hitchcock before. can't remember who I was reading because there's been so much written about Bong recently. But while a lot of people talk about Mother as like being like quite an obvious homage to Psycho, mm. just for having like a troubling sort a of like mother-son relationship. Yeah. <laughs> but um, someone was talking about how it's like Vertigo, where you're with someone the whole time and you're forced to like go through the change from the James Stewart character in Vertigo, amateur detective, like trying to figure out what happened, driven so far by the act of discovery that they become the villain. Her act of murder is the logical extension of unconditional love. Right. In the same way that in Parasite, the like bloodshed is a logical extension of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still shocking. Like she's so willing to like protect her son and like her mission to discover the truth is also a mission to like craft the truth. The truth. It's true. Um, it's more important that she protects her son, obviously. Yeah. The son, when people call him a retard, sorry, I know this isn't the Red Scare podcast, but he gets called a retard a lot, and that's what sends him into a rage and makes him, like, go crazy. Pretty outrageous, like, plot Pretty device ironic. Yeah, I guess, for a fictional you know. yeah. story. But for a director who's really concerned with portraying disabled characters actually i was talking to my friend about it I was talking about how like films in the west you can't even like have characters like that because they're just so ostracized you can't even like not you can't comprehend them but like stories can't comprehend them whereas like 
disabled people feature a lot in like Park Chan Wook's films. Oh yeah, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance both has a deaf and dumb protagonist central to the mechanics of the plot and someone who, you know, yeah. someone doing some proper monkey shot, Adam monkey shot in like, vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, mm. But is it a bit, um, they're still being represented and, you know, okay, you know, the logical extension of that line of thought is maybe they should be represented by non-able-bodied people. Um, However, like, look, for it to be part of the plot is... You know, it's, it's interesting at the very least and, you know, demands some, exactly. about as an, much analysis as we've given Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like analytical exploitation or whatever, like, he's always trying to say something with it. But he's obviously interested in, like, sort of marginalisation and I think that's definitely fits within that. Looking at Bong as a director, as an author, in the way that Peter Wallen wants you to look at it when you read Signs of Meaning in the cinema, he's definitely more of a... Howard Hawks, where like whatever genre his film is, it ends up being the same thing. It features the same sequences and the same like issues. Same dialectical tension. I think for Bong, just that like the paradox of society, economy, politics, they're inherently paradoxical. So even just to foreground them as themes, like they don't need to be split into dichotomies necessarily. But I mean, I don't know. If you wanted to make a table, like I'm sure you could. If someone wanted to make a some sort of graph or diagram, <laughs> we'll put it on the Phil Graves yes, Instagram. Fuck. We will, we will, we'll put it on. But no, what it more is is that that's how you're a sick filmmaker. You know, if you can say your shit, no matter what kind of story you're trying to tell. Yeah, he imposes his personality and his outlook. Sci-fi, crime, monster. Well, that's all the genres. That's the the, those are all the genres that exist. So you know, he's covered all the bases. I mean, it really is consistent from incoherence. Bong often speaks about uh, bewilderment. Is it? It's something, um, and just like, that's obviously central to incoherence all the way through to Parasite. That sense of like, just grappling with Whether it's the like, world. But it's not like nihilistic. No, I think there are hopeful notes and... Very substantive, yeah. Mother has the maddest ending. The maddest relationship. The maddest location. Yeah. I think they spent a lot of time scouting locations for mother yeah when she goes to the junkyard and there's like a crazy like mountain vista in the background but i mean the cityscapes the shops like um <gasps> the funeral scene which again remind me of twin peaks where you've got just like the mother of the victim just like getting drunk but the mother's like being a nuisance oh yeah yeah, yeah. her interaction <laughs> with the world is like very driven and <laughs> singular you know she's not that sympathetic really but her She's not sympathetic to other people. <laughs> but she's extremely sympathetic as like a hero. And like when she commits like crimes, you don't really give a fuck. <laughs> Whereas like most of Bong's other films have like been hugely seen. Mother's like an art house film, you know, like Mother's Very like right. Maybe at least over here. Like I feel like internationally, in terms of like Bong chat before Parasite came out, like since we've been like reading like pop film journalism bong's been a, a mainstay you know capturing so, the imagination deservedly so but mother as you said pretty underrated i think in his filmography and my my personal favorite i don't know what my favorite is it's i mean it's a bit facile really i kind of want to be said, a dickhead like, and say it's really snowpiercer yeah. i also want to be my 13 year old self and say it's the host <laughs> they're all sick i hope we've inspired you dear listener to check out mother if you haven't seen it. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen any of them. Pff. He's great. Love you, Bong.
take your time off. Don't rush into the next film too much. Uh, the Snowpiercer TV show is about to come out, and the Parasite HBO show is being developed right now. Maybe it'll be like the Force Majeure remake with Will Ferrell that came out. <laughs> it would be cool if you had. That. I want John C. Riley in Parasite as the song Can Ho. Oh, isn't it like Mark Ruffalo or something? So. Isn't he the Song Kang Ho character in uh, Zodiac? <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up this episode, then. I've really enjoyed watching Bong Joon Ho's films. Like, yeah, honestly, it was a pleasure to revisit some of the ones that you know we watched like quite a long time ago now. Um, as well as like you know, Bucking Dogs, Mother, Incoherence is really jokes. Track it down. Yeah, please. Yeah. Should we make a final mention then before we finish of another Lord of Cinema, another King, the Exorcist from the Exorcist, <laughs> the Magician from the Magician. <laughs> is he the Virgin Spring as well? The Tree from Game of Thrones. Max von Sydow was Sidow, whatever. Doesn't matter. Now's not the time for. No, no. Now's not the time to be pedantic. We've been doing that for an hour and a half. <laughs> About names. <laughs> I mean, he's an old man. Long and storied career. He's really been, you know, he played Jesus in the greatest story ever told. He was in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Big moot. No, just fucking taking the piss. My friend was telling me I need to watch Pele the Conqueror. Yeah, Mike, for me, yeah, I think we covered it in that little quite disingenuous introduction really um but you know in the bergman films as you said uh the face and well he's in so many so. right you know all my favorite actors are like actors from bergman films because the it's on another level i don't know i guess it's theatrical it's theatrical acting you know and film acting at the same time but having spoken sort of about like bong today and like his work was specific with like a sort of like company of actors it's not even a unique thing like he got so much out of like Harriet Anderson or like Liv Orman or like Gunnar Bjornstrand like so- or Greta Thunberg's granddad <laughs> who plays the organist and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people who like actors you watch like fight you watch, if you watch like The Virgin Spring The Seventh Seal The Passion of Anna Winter Light where his cameo is just like the most devastating thing like, leaves the scene and kills himself like immediately and it's just... Hannah and Her Sisters by Woody Allen like he He's a really great actor. Guys. Just a god, yeah. <laughs> Pulling up the tree in the Virgin Spring. And, like, whacking that shit. I love the monologues in um, Passion of Anna where he's, like, being interviewed about his character. For me, it's probably the same still. I know it's the basis one, but as, like, a medievalist as well, like, when the, f- like, flagellation, like, procession takes place and those shots of just them all, like, one by one, like, witnessing it, this is just iconic for me. Like, when I think of, like, film like that's like he's one of the faces what's like right? in my he, yeah. he wore prosthetics great he grew great <laughs> facial hair it's crazy that he was like you know age we watched some of that exorcist documentary not long ago um and they obviously like aged him up madly for that like, oh yeah he was playing like way old he was only like 40 when he made the exorcist or whatever and his character's like a really old man or whatever r.i.p like it, we're all gonna die but bit deep really isn't it a lot to celebrate though thanks for listening to film grace thanks for recording film grace with me sam oh it's been a pleasure i've really honestly i've loved revisit i've it's great to look at these films again please uh if you enjoy listening to film grace subscribe rate us write in 
Ask, yeah, know. ask us a question. Isn't it? Yeah, or I open up the film Grey's letterbox and you know. Yeah, Alice actual, on the mailbox, mailbox, not letter. <laughs> too many <Inbox>. messages. <laughs> anyway, just you know, get involved if you like this thing. Thanks a lot. Till next time. Up in Emmett. I'm Sam.